Anything else you guys want to throw in there? Oh, I just absolutely agree with everything Tim says. <laughs> just in general. That's fair. I would too. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Island. This is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we bring together panels of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand, and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the concerns customers have with achieving compliance in the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm the Director of Cloud Market Intelligence for Island. We'll be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a very compliant group of unique experiences. Let's start with having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important when considering concerns about compliance in the cloud. Yeah, thanks for having me again. My name is Tim Davis. I'm a DevOps advocate. And my soundbite with compliance is it's exactly the same, whether you're on-prem or in the cloud. The only differentiation is sometimes there's a little bit of a difference in where the uh, delineation point is in responsibility. Hey, Brian. Jonathan Pierce. I'm an architect with Kindred at Home. And my soundbite for the cloud is that it's wonderful when it comes to compliance. You can certainly save a lot and make life easier going that direction. Yeah, I'm Mark Crawford, a systems engineer for NJBC. And I agree with Tim. It doesn't matter whether it's on-prem or in the cloud. It still uh, is complex and needs to be done. Thank you all for joining me. Compliance is an ever more complicated issue for every organization. So it's understandable that this came up as a top concern amongst the VMware user group members I've surveyed. Maintaining compliance can be trickier and easier when hosting data in the cloud. On the one hand, you're relying on a third party to maintain the legal requirements you are bound by. While on the other hand, they may be more well-suited to achieve those requirements. Customers should always evaluate that their cloud providers can provide the compliance they need. Tim, is it enough to alleviate these concerns by simply verifying that they have the needed compliance badge on their website? Absolutely not. Out in the cloud, you can definitely assume, at least with all of the major providers, that they are absolutely handling their business in terms of compliance. They have thousands of people that are doing this there. But really, the whole point of compliance is not just saying that you follow the rules, it's proving that you're following the rules. The audit process is such a huge part of pretty much any compliance certification out there. It should be exactly the same for when you're going to the cloud and you're making sure they're compliant. It's not just enough to say that you are going through the process of validating that that's correct is just as important as doing any of the audits for your compliance. Like I've discussed before, I work on a government project most of the time. And um, before our government customer was able to move to the cloud, Amazon built a whole government cloud data center just because of all the compliance issues that the government has. So the government is constantly making sure that the compliance is verified with the uh, cloud data center that Amazon has. Being on the healthcare side, most of the cloud providers have a specialty tier where you can purchase into specific healthcare compliance around HIPAA or different states compliance concerns. And that's really one of the great things about it in, in terms of coming from the customer side. But it's not enough just to make sure they have the badge on their website. Contractually, you've got to make sure that 
your data is protected and that all the compliance and regulatory needs have been met. Exactly. I mean, the audit process, it's essential at any point, whether it be trying to figure out which cloud provider you want to start evaluating and possibly using or one you've been using for years and just continuing to make sure that they are keeping up with what they're supposed to be doing. Because at the end of the day, if you're trusting somebody else with your compliance and they fail, that's on you. You should have been doing your due diligence to make sure that they were you know, keeping up on their end by keeping up with your end. Yeah. And it's sad that a lot of companies do look at compliance as just being a checkbox and you know something that all they need to do is get past the audit and they'll be fine when compliance is really designed to be, hey, we know that if you don't do this, you're going to put your customers and, and the citizens of our country or state or whatever, wherever that regulation is coming from at risk. And we don't want that. And, you know, so while the compliances may seem like they're overbearing and just there as an exercise, they're, they're really there for something critical and something important. Absolutely. And I, you know, a lot of the problems that I see that come along with that, where people don't take it seriously or what have you, it comes down a lot to the what is your brand worth to you question. And there's so many companies out there that truly don't understand what their brand is worth until something bad happens and they have to pay for it. So if you just keep up with it, if you stay on top of it, it's not going to be that huge in the long run versus getting breached, having a, some kind of compliance failure, and then having to go through and mitigate and remediate after the fact. Yeah. And, you know, you really hit on the fact that compliance is tough. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing for every customer to figure out, especially when they're smaller companies that, you know, they may not have any legal or even technical focused employees. And even if they do, they're probably stretched super thin and may not have the time to really do the due diligence that they need to. And as all of us have been practitioners in IT, I think we all can agree to that. John, how can cloud providers help to actually improve a company's compliance situation when they may not be able to handle it themselves? Cloud is positioned perfectly for that. If you're a smaller company and you don't have the auditing, the infosec, the people hired around compliance, cloud can shoulder that burden. If you're a small shop and you're looking at HIPAA or PCI, DSS, those are really, really, really tough compliance standards to meet if you're on your own. Whereas if you go with a cloud provider, they can manage that solution for you. I think it's a great position to be in as a small company going to the cloud. So playing devil's advocate here real quick on that. If you go that route and you're trusting that cloud, is that not the same thing as just looking at the badge on their website and trusting them to do it? Well, it seems these days that InfoSec is more compliance-based, and I hate to say it, maybe it's just my opinion, but it seems that most security professionals these days aren't so concerned about, you know, phishing, hacks, data loss, data breaches, but more, are we covering all of our bases? Can we check all these boxes to say, yes, we were compliant, yes, we followed these controls and safeguards. If something happened, hey, look, we're covered. And maybe that's a mystic. But uh, going to a cloud, instead of having to hire 100, 200, 300 legal security and compliance folks, you can go up the stack and have them shoulder that requirement. Yeah, that makes sense. And it also, from what I've seen with a lot of customers, this is where the you know third party 
service provider or, you know, partner comes in where they'll outsource, you know, compliance audits and things like that to them because it's not necessarily trusting the cloud provider because I'm sure you do because you're using them, but just making sure that you have that third party that's not necessarily just vested in their own business interest, but yours, that can always help to have a fresh set of eyes on things just to make sure that everything is going the way that it's supposed to be. Absolutely. And there is a tremendous amount of companies in that space. Yeah, it's definitely a huge business. It seems like every week we've got a new company coming in doing a security audit or posture compliance scan or third-party auditors, especially the big three, you know, your your Accenture, your your Pricewaterhouse, your Ernst & Young, that sort of fun stuff. Mark, I'm curious. uh, So you were talking about experience with the, you know, the government and things like that. I know uh, government level compliance is just insane and through the roof. Do you have non-government compliance experience? And I'm curious if you have an idea or can give a rough estimate of like, how much crazier is it on the grand scale from going just regular strong compliance up to government level compliance? Yeah, unfortunately, I really don't have much non-government experience. I've worked my whole career in the government space. And so I really can't say how much crazier it is, but I know that at least in the government space, there is constant audits and scanning and all kinds of compliance going on all the time. So it's not like it's just a once a year type thing for in the government workspace. It's constantly happening. And a lot of that has to do with contractual reasons with contractors and that type of thing. So it's not just because um, to just to check a checkbox. It's also to make sure that the contractors are doing their job, that type of thing. So there's multiple different reasons that compliance needs to happen in the government environment. As you've moved from, you know, more of the traditional on-premises to using the AWS GovCloud, I guess, how much of your time and how much of the whole team's time have it been spent on compliance? I mean, has AWS actually helped alleviate that off of your team? It has alleviated it some. Once we started utilizing more of an AWS cloud services, because initially we did a lot of lift and shift. And so when we still had all of those EC2 instances and that type of thing, we were still doing a lot of of the um, compliance stuff type work. But once we started moving and utilizing cloud services, it's definitely making things easier on the compliance side because somebody else on the back end is doing all of the compliance work for all those cloud services. Very cool. It's interesting to me because I never thought about the, uh, not only the differences of moving to the cloud in general, but moving from like a lift and shift monolithic type deployment to a microservice, more cloud native type deployment. So that's actually really interesting to me. Yeah, the government had a initial really big push to get into the cloud. And it was scary because they just didn't care about how it happened or what you did. So a lot of projects just did a complete lift and shift, even though it was costing them more money and it didn't make sense. And in some ways it was painful, but um, they just wanted everybody to check a checkbox saying, yeah, we moved to the cloud. And so um, it's so funny that they like, knew from the start that it was going to be inexpensive and it's not a great endeavor because like when cloud first came out 
everybody was like, great, let's move to the cloud. So everybody just lifted and shifted and took all of their monolithic garbage and shoved it out there. Then six months later, they went, oh, this is horribly expensive. I'm going back to on-prem because cloud had this giant ramp up and then a giant ramp down. And then people started to realize, oh, I just didn't do it the right way. Yeah. So they went out and started re-architecting and refactoring and what have you to cloud native architecture. But the fact that the government said, forget it, I don't care, let's do it anyways, <laughs> in true government fashion. <laughs> yeah. And so what has happened in a lot of contracts that I've seen is that they'll rewrite the contract so that in the following years that they have to prove that they're um, going to save money in their cloud costs. So they have to make sure that they're doing things to reduce those cloud costs. That's interesting. So it's kind of like a forced replatforming based on contract value, Correct. or at least the contract is based off of reducing cloud costs and optimizing. I actually, man, that would be a really good driver for standard corporations in the private sector yeah. to get those projects done. Because I mean, there's companies out there that are moving into snail's pace because they don't really have anything hinging on it. Yeah, people are complaining about budgets, but there's no nothing really saying, we're going to cancel this contract if you don't. Yeah, that financial incentive is what moves businesses all the time. And you know, to be able to get to that more cost effective. And I would guess that from a compliance perspective, higher up in the stack that you go cloud, that the easier the burden. And it sounds like, Mark, you're seeing the effects there, the, the easier the burden is. And it kind of comes into the same thing why you want to go higher up in the stack, just because of the fact that there's less for you to manage and more for you to rely on specialists to manage that part of the stack. That part's fascinating to me because, like I mentioned, I haven't actually thought about the difference in architecture in the cloud. But really, if you think of like a database, you deploy an EC2 instance that has a full OS on it, that has the database stuff on it, that has the database. You're having to manage the compliance on that full stack, including the OS. If you just deploy an RDS database, there is no OS, so you don't have to manage the patching of that. You don't have to do this and that. It just takes away so many of those different factors because I haven't had to personally deal with that from a compliance standpoint. That never clicked in my head, but that's fascinating. I like that. John, from your perspective, have you seen kind of the same thing as Kindred Health has moved more towards the cloud? I have. Yeah. And it seems that these days now I'm more focused on compliance, quarterly SOX audits, or ensuring that we're reporting to the board that Yes, all of our practices and controls are in place around patching and security and AV, who has access rights and auditing those things. And that's one of the things I love about the cloud is that once you go up the stack, once you're no longer worried about patching firmware and OSs and AV, and you're looking at just microservices, you don't have to worry about so much and it's beautiful. And I think it's more important than actual cost because it's freeing up your people to do actual architecture instead of, oh, it's the first of the quarter. Better fill out these forms saying that, yes, we do this and here's who has access to these servers and services and service accounts. So it's certainly a boon and it makes you so much more agile. And you're probably also thinking about it less at a system level compliance and more about the holistic level, I would assume, too, in that scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really interesting that you are thinking about compliance more because you have the freedom to and 
you know, given the compliance needs within healthcare and, you know, I was working for a healthcare company when HIPAA came down. So I totally understand that situation. It is so central to everything that you do in IT is maintaining those compliance things because you are holding some of the, you know, maybe even more so than the government, you know, critical data that people don't want getting out into the public sphere. It does become such a core thing to everything you do that it kind of does make sense that when you free up that system administration time, that that would then go to higher level, more holistic things like compliance as a whole. You said something there that kind of took me way back to my NSX days. And I just, you mentioned that like with healthcare, you might be dealing with things that are more critically, you know, important. There's an anecdote that a a fellow SE, you know, I used to listen to him talk and he would say, how much do you think a credit card number is worth on the dark web? Somebody take a guess. Dollar fifty. That's about right. So it's three bucks. How much do you think an electronic medical record is worth on the dark web? $120. 300 bucks, give or take. Wow. So the reason is, you know, a credit card is good until the company figures it out and they cancel the number and it doesn't work anymore. With an electronic medical record, you've got somebody's name, their address, some of their security question answers, their social security number. You have their whole life. It's an entire identity. You create a new credit card with that. They cancel it. Great. Create another one until they freeze their identity or what have you. So for sure, when it comes to security and compliance, I would definitely say the healthcare space is probably one of the most critical for that, even compared to some government agencies. Yeah, definitely. I'd mentioned earlier about how I did some polling, and that's where a lot of these cloud concerns I'm dealing with this season came from. And in that polling, you know, I asked both you as an individual, what do you think about this? How big of a concern is this? And I also asked, what do you think your company thinks about this? How big of a concern is it to them? And when I looked at the results across all the VMUGs I did, I found that the individuals generally are pretty unconcerned with compliance themselves. But on the other hand, they felt like that management company level was super concerned about it. In fact, it was the number four largest concern that they felt the company had. Mark, why are individuals so unconcerned about compliance and yet they assume that their companies are? Yeah, I think individuals are unconcerned because they don't feel that the repercussions of not being compliant are going to, there's not going to something happen immediately. And so if they skip a quarter or two quarters and are not following up on all the compliance issues and they don't see anything happen, nobody's got in trouble and nobody found out, then everything's all well and good. So they're like, well, yeah, I I can just go another uh, quarter and just check the checkbox and nobody will ever know. And so I think people get lazy and don't see anything uh, happening until actually somebody finds out or something goes wrong and and then somebody finds out that you weren't compliant. So I think that's that's a lot of the reasons why people are so unconcerned about compliance. Complacency is a heck of a drug. I mean, if it's, you know, what some people call not my problem or somebody else's problem, then, you know, you don't really think about it from a lot of people's perspective. Compliance is just once a quarter or once a half. I have to go and fill out my little socks audit thing and say, yes, I know I have this and that and I'll be fine. Or, you know, you go through and every once in a while you got to have your virus scanned or something. But it's just it comes down to the fact of like who you ask at the company. If you ask the person that's in charge of compliance for that company that's going to be the number one concern of theirs. If you ask somebody else, it's just going to kind of be a roadblock or something that slows them down every once in a while. 
if you don't understand what happens when there's a compliance break or a breach or a failure, then you don't necessarily understand the gravity of all that. So it just kind of sits in the back of your mind or it doesn't at all because it's just like, eh, it's fine. I do my job and I'm good. I think I fall into that. Most of the time, I'm not concerned about compliance. I do my job. I'm good. But once you have, you know, external audits come in, you fail an audit and everybody's in firefight mode. And then you learn, I should have probably taken this a little bit more serious. Whoops, my bad. I'm going to double down. I'm going to make sure that I'm on top of my compliance game. I'm going to go that extra step and make sure that these controls really are in place and that I'm self-reporting properly to ensure that, you know, I'm not just checking boxes, but I'm digging deep and ensuring that, you know, I'm attesting truthfully, yes, these controls are in place. We follow these best practices. Here we go. Yeah. If you don't have to put your name on the piece of paper that says we're doing this, you generally don't care or you don't think about it because it's the whole responsibility ends up falling on somebody else. Exactly. How much of that do you feel is coming from just, you know, do more with less? IT people are generally overburdened and, and can't get to things. You know, they're fighting fires, they're chasing the next problem rather than thinking about, again, that more holistic approach to things. And then also kind of to John's point earlier, offloading a lot of that concern, both the day-to-day management of the infrastructure as well as the compliance needs of that infrastructure, I think, again, probably leads to being able to think about it more holistically and, and actually maybe caring about it a bit more when you're not constantly chasing your tail. Yeah, I think one of the issues here kind of comes back to something we talked about in another episode, the connectivity episode, was communication. People aren't talking to each other. If you've got your siloed teams, including the compliance team, where you only hear for them when it's time for an audit or they need something from you, if you're not regularly communicating, figure out how do my decisions affect somebody else? How do somebody else's decision affect me? then you're going to lose some of that perspective because you just don't know. The more you know, the more you have, the better decisions you can make with what you have at hand. And I would assume that that would then translate over to those cloud providers, you know, maintaining communication with them. You know, we kind of already discussed before about it's important to maintain that investigation into your cloud provider to make sure that they're still doing the things that you saw them doing initially. You know, if they say they've got that badge, They probably do, and they're probably doing the things they need to do, and they're probably being audited to prove that they're doing those things. But keep in mind, it is each individual company's responsibility to validate that they can actually back up those claims. And any good cloud provider should have a document essentially ready to hand over to you to attest to what they're doing and how they're meeting those and how they've passed their audits. I know Island is a company really focused on those compliance pieces and the security that goes with it. We've got a repository where all of our attestations are for our compliance and which ones are NDA and which ones are non-NDA and, you know, when we could share them pre-sales and when we have to, we can only share them post-sales. But no matter what, you know, if you're in a specialized industry, like we discussed with government or healthcare, you know, you may need to be in a specialized kind of cloud. So look for those things. You know, not all clouds are created equal and that can be very apparent when you're in a highly regulated industry. But, you know, cloud can be a perfect solution to improve your compliance situation. It's actually, in most cases, probably going to make it easier, especially the higher up the stack you go. You know, the less infrastructure burden you have, that also includes the compliance burden as well. And you can shift from having to understand what you have to do to achieve compliance to validating that compliance was achieved. 
And that can be a huge burden, especially in those smaller companies that just don't have the cycles to really focus on it or in the highly regulated industries where you've got so many you've got to look at. And also keep in mind, you're not only buying the time of the technical resources that those cloud providers are selling to you, but you should also be looking for those specialized employees. You know, do you have an InfoSec team? Do you have a dedicated compliance team? And some of those cloud providers will provide access to those. I know with Island, we do offer our compliance team during both the pre-sales and the post-sales side of things. So, you know, if you want to better understand how we're doing compliance, you can talk to them. If you have an auditor come at you while you're on the platform, can you bring in the cloud provider's compliance team to be able to talk to those auditors? Those things will put you in a much better position than you'll probably be on your own unless you're a really large company. And as a general note, when it comes to compliance, complacency is the mortal enemy of compliance. You know, we all know it's important, but as individuals, we may not fear those repercussions. And we're trying to put fires out. We're trying to deal with the next thing. And compliance is rarely top of mind in that situation. So make sure your inner team communications are strong to be able to discuss those compliance needs. And that also applies to your cloud providers. Make sure that you've got an open communication channel. You know who your account manager is so that you can work with them to make sure that you remain in compliance with whatever you need to do. Because again, it's your responsibility ultimately. And you can't fully just forget about it and say, our cloud provider is taking care of it for us. You need to make sure that they're actually doing it. So with that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you to Tim, John, and Mark for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, and further information on this topic and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. If you found this content useful, we'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Yes. Agree? Disagree? <laughs> <laughs> yes, fully agree. I absolutely agree. I agree also. Okay. Very concise conversation. <laughs> <laughs>